and we actually give them an opportunity that most others won't because if you've always rented and your parents have always rented and your grandparents have always rented, what most likely were your kids do? They'll be renters. So we want to change that pattern and we want to help them to look at things in a different way and help them to transition into home ownership, which is really the American dream. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. So Ready to Scale is our second season here where we focus on the business side of real estate. We're going to talk about APS of real estate which is asset, process, and strategy. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. Okay, so this month I'm giving away an acquisitions manager spreadsheet that lays out the stages in the acquisitions process and will help you track all the deals you have in your pipeline. The spreadsheet also contains information about the brokerage firms my company Blue Lake sources deals from. So with the spreadsheet, I'm also adding the acquisitions process guide to walk you through the different internal acquisition steps. So use both documents for better results. You can customize the Excel spreadsheet, but it's a great template to use in the acquisition process. That's the same one that I'm using myself. You can find the documents at www.elliepearlman.com resources. So today on the show, I have the pleasure of hosting Anne Amagrande. So Anne is a CEO and managing investor of Grande AMA and Associates. Her first experience as an entrepreneur began in her childhood when helping with her family's printing business. Anne originally began flipping homes when she first became active in real estate. However, over time, she shifted her strategy and now operates with a focus on cash flow and long-term growth for not only herself, but her investors, the long-term residents, and locally owned and operated preferred vendors. And is passionate about real estate, economics, and finance, and graduated from Azusa Pacific University with her MBA. Hope I pronounced that correctly. I would like to welcome Anne to the show. Hey, how are you, Anne? I'm doing awesome, Ellie. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, I think first time we spoke was a long time ago, right? It was yeah, it's four been, or five oh months. my gosh, six, uh, eight or nine months ago. I think it was back in February or March. I yeah. Think it was. Yeah. So we've been trying to get this set up for a while uh, <laughs> between your schedule and mine, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> life happens. Yeah. And we keep traveling. I mean, we travel a lot. And even now you're recording, you're, you're traveling and you're traveling with your mic, which is very helpful, you know, to record this podcast. So I really, really appreciate it. I know most people don't do that, but like we, we had a conversation before we started recording about 
how you know challenging and interesting the life of an entrepreneur is. So I, I appreciate the effort. I really do. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So we're gonna talk, you know, in this episode about lease options and single family homes. And you know, I'm curious to kind of learn more about how you started investing in single family homes and what brought you to that field. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually in a corporate job for a majority of my 20s. And just like most individuals that have a salary type position, it's it's more of, you know, you, you work until the job gets done. And having that entrepreneurial spirit, it doesn't matter if I own my own business or if I'm working for someone else. We are very, we're overly committed to what it is that we're working on currently. So I ended up working, you know, 90, 100 hours a week sleeping in my office. And I'm sure a lot of the, the listeners can 100% relate to that because we've all been there, except I was doing it for someone else. So as I began to transition into real estate, I had a friend of mine who had been flipping homes during the recession. And he said, you know, I took a couple of years off. I want to get back into it. Would you like to be my partner on a couple of these and see if this is something you would want to transition into? Like, yeah, why not? Let's, you know, you've got the experience, you've done this before, you can kind of show me the ropes as I as I understand the processes and how how everything moves forward. So it was kind of a safety net for me when I first got into it. So it's always great to have an individual that has that type of experience, some kind of a mentor or you know, getting education from someone, someone that can kind of really hold your hand and walk you through that process. So we ended up flipping a couple of homes and I realized that as much fun as it was from a process standpoint, because I'm very, I'm very process oriented. I love to reverse engineer and I love to create, you know, systems and you know, just make everything as efficient as possible. I realized that it wasn't really feeding what I was looking to do. Because you flip a home and then what do you have to do next? You have to flip another home. And then what? You have to flip another one. And so, you know, this was his process of how he did it, which was fantastic, but it wasn't something that I could create longevity. It wasn't something where I would ever eventually be able to retire from that. I wanted to create more cash flow. So for every property that I bought, I wanted to make sure that I could create something that would give me some residual. And so this is kind of the transition that I started going through. And we, you know, I, I went out and I got education. I started, you know, working with other investors, you know, hey, how do you do, you know, how do you buy rental properties? And then as we started buying rental properties, it was, okay, great. So what can we do with these? Rather than, you know, how can we make this more automated? How can we make this easier for us? And that's when we transitioned into the lease option, which was which is just an exceptional find for us. And I have a mentor that has been doing lease options for, oh my gosh, almost 40 years now. And I've got a couple of mentors across the country that do the same thing. So it's been great to expand my network, you know, during this transition of, you know, figuring out what it is that I really wanted to specialize in. And that's when I came across the lease option. And I just 100% love it because we can create a win-win-win scenario. A win for our investors because we're getting them a great rate of return. It's a win for us because obviously we make money and profit off of our, our experience and our, our partnership with our investors. But we also create a win scenario for our residents. And we actually give them an opportunity that most others won't. Because if you've always rented and your parents have always rented and your grandparents have always rented, what most likely were your kids do? they'll be renters. So we want to change that pattern and we want to help them to look at things in a different way and help them to transition into home ownership, which is really the American dream. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think it's a very, very interesting topic. But before we dive into that strategy part of lease options, I want to go back for a second to the single family homes. And I think you're absolutely right. It's really, really hard to scale when you flip because if you don't work, you don't make money. 
while if you have, you know, any type of rental property, you sleep, you fly, you vacation, doesn't matter what you do, money is still coming in. It's not as easy. You need to know how to manage it or, you know, the right team in place, but there's still money coming in. So beyond that, you know, obvious benefit of, you know, it's easier to scale and there's always money coming in. Is there anything specific that you like about single family homes? So as you've already aptly mentioned, my background is in economics. So I follow a lot of the trends beyond just what is the housing market doing. And through my experiences of you know, studying the economy as a whole, we know that there are very specific trends, right? So every eight to 12 years is when we go through the entire cycle, right? And so it was literally 11 years ago, 2008, when we had the last recession. So we're coming up on, the, on that 12-year mark. So there's a lot of individuals that are getting very panicked. And this is why we're seeing the stock market start to fluctuate. There's a lot of different, different trends that we follow. So when we go into a market, when we are looking at a single family or a new market that we want to buy a single family in, we're not just looking at what is the housing market doing. I'm looking at how many jobs are being created. How many companies are coming in versus going out? Are the companies going out of business? What, what is the income level of the jobs that are being created? Is it attracting new individuals moving in? So we look at a lot of these different trends, not just what is the housing market doing, because this helps us to do that. And I feel that single family is it's one of the safest things that you can you can invest in because as we look at you know commercial and things of that nature, what happens is the, the economy starts to go down. Businesses go out of business and they no longer need a storefront. Or, you know, but even before we hit that trough, we're seeing that businesses are like, okay, well, you know, our, our profits are starting to get very, very razor thin. So why don't we do this? We'll move the business back into our home until the economy starts to pick up. And so now you have all of these commercial buildings that are vacant that nobody's renting. And so we are, have the philosophy that individuals will always need a roof over their head, right? You're, if you have children, you're never going to create a situation where your family does not have a home, does not have yeah. a place to sleep at night. You'll give everything else up, your car, your business, anything, but you will make sure that your kids have a place to live. And so utilizing that psychology, we actually are able, we're trying to utilize that as a, as a strategy to make sure that we can, we can put that within our business. So. That's great. And I find it really interesting that, you know, you're, you're looking into single family homes, thinking about, okay, what's happening now and what's, you know, where we're going, we're basically going towards a recession and take all those factors into consideration. What can an investor do to make sure that their single family home investments would not be impacted by the next recession? Is there anything that you do in your business or any advice that you can give us? I'm so glad that you asked this question because this is not something that a lot of people dig into. We actually look at what's called a risk ratio. And the way that I was taught to do a risk ratio is, okay, let's, we're going to do some very simple numbers because I know that a lot of people are driving their cars and they're on their way to work. So let's say you have a rental property, a single family home, and you're renting out for $1,000 and you have a payment of $600. Now your cash flow, if nothing else goes wrong during the month, your cash flow is $400. Now let's say you have one month of vacancy. Well, you still have to pay the $600, right? So the next month when it becomes vacant, now that first $400 goes back to reimburse you for the six from the previous month of payment, but there's still an extra $200 that needs to be reimbursed. So that gets paid out in the third month. So the first month was vacant. The second month covered part of the cost of your mortgage. And then the third month, half of it went toward paying that, that first month mortgage. So that 
you know, we look at that kind of a ratio. So this is, this is one reason we don't invest in California because we look at properties where, okay, great. The mortgage is going to be 2,400 a month. We're getting that same $400 cash flow. How many months does it take to get even if just from one month of vacancy, we're talking six months before we're, we're hitting profitability again. And so we look at these types of ratios whenever we buy a home. And so what we do is we always look at this as a strategy when we go into buying these single family homes. What is our risk ratio going to be? I have investors all the time that say, hey, I've got properties, especially right now. They're like, I have properties that have equity. Should I pull the equity out? I said, let's look at the risk ratio. And they give me a look and I'm like, what, what risk ratio? And we go through all of the numbers and I'll typically tell them, no, it's not viable because if we hit a recessionary period, you don't want to lose all of your homes, Right. So it's better to have the five that you have now versus trying to buy an additional three and lose all eight. Let's just keep the original five and let's just have it continue to, to work the process. Because as we know, real estate is not, especially buy and hold, is not a short-term strategy. This is not about getting short-term gains. This is about your longevity. This is about protecting your assets, protecting your capital. And it's about capital preservation. That's really what we, we try to focus on. So that's one of the big things that we focus on. I think most people don't think this way. They, they look at the equity that they've built in an investment vehicle in, in an apartment or, or a house and they say, oh, I have all this equity. Why don't I pull this equity and use the money or reinvest it in something else? And it's definitely something to be aware of, especially where we're heading. You know, we don't know how, when it's going to happen or how hard it's going to hit us. Interesting. One other thing that I, I would love to say is a lot of individuals, so as we hit that recessionary period, you start to see indicators and you'll start to see your residents start to pay later. What we typically do is we make business decisions because ultimately this is a business. And if our resident is having a hard time paying, we actually get them on the phone and say, hey, what's going on? And we walk them through and they say, oh, my husband lost his job. And we say, okay. We make a business decision and say, well, instead of having $500 in cash flow or $600 in cash flow on this particular rental, why don't we give them a $100 break? Because I'd rather them get a break and actually want to work with us versus them moving. And now it's going to take me three months to get that property re-rented. I'd rather take $100 less in cash flow a month than have zero cash flow for three months. And so we, we try to make those business decisions. So that's another, that's one more you know, thing that I would caution everybody on as your tenants start to talk about moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and tenants talk. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> tenants talk for sure. So you mentioned earlier, you talked a little bit about lease options, and I want to focus, you know, on that, you know, part as we move from asset to strategy. Can you explain how lease option works exactly? How is the strategy working? Yeah, so a lot of the process changed after Dodd-Frank was enacted. So you actually have to have a completely separate document. So you have your lease, and then you have a completely separate document, which is your option. And before you were able to combine everything, but now you need to make sure that, you know, you need to talk to a really, really good attorney, someone who's gone through all of the regulation, because there are a lot of things that can make a lease or rent to own or a lease to own. And that's why we don't call it a, you know, lease option anymore. We call it a rent to own or a lease to own, because it's a very specific differential between those two things. And you need to make sure that you fully understand what will construe it as a sale versus keeping it very separate as the rental and then also a separate agreement as the option. So um, a lease option basically means that they are able to rent the property for a period of time 
or they had a standard a standard lease or a standard standard rental agreement with the homeowner. And we have a separate option, and we actually do anywhere from a five-year up to a 15-year option for the resident. And again, we're going back to this is a long-term strategy. This is not short-term. So we want to make sure that we give the resident a full capacity to be able to execute on the option. And so I don't want to do a two-year option because there's not many people, especially if you have a credit issue, if you had a foreclosure in 08, 09, 10, 11, you're going to have a hard time trying to get approved until that foreclosure falls off. So there's a lot of individuals that are coming through now that, you know, those, those foreclosures started to fall off and they're like, hey, I want to get back into it. They still have bad credit. And so it's going to take them some time, but they want to be able to build some sweat equity. And so this allows them to rent the home, do any kind of improvements on the home that they want to. I've had residents come in same day, rip out all of the carpet, put a new carpet, paint all of the walls, no exaggeration. And they're like, this is good. This is my home. And those individuals have every intention of executing on that option. And those are the types of individuals that we love to put into our homes because we know that they are the psychology, their heart is in it. And that's what we're really looking for is that psychology is to, to really help individuals that want to move forward, that really want to become homeowners. So Anne, let me ask you this. As an investor, as an owner, why would I even be interested in a lease option? Why not just own it and then keep renting it, keep pushing rents whenever I can, maybe renovate it a few years. What's the benefit for me as an owner to have someone sign a lease option or rent to own or lease to own and basically sell the property after several years? Yeah, there are a ton of different benefits, but I'm going to focus on two because I know that we, we don't have a ton of time. The first one is when you put individuals in under a lease option, they typically tend to stay and pay. So in the Phoenix market, we typically see that individuals stay between 12 and 18 months and then they move on to another, another place to live. And so every 12 to 18 months, what do you have to do? You have to go in and clean. You have, you know, a lots of rent because you have a month or two months. And especially if it's, if you go vacant in May or June, no one's moving in the summer. It's 115 degrees. No one is moving. <laughs> so you typically will have more vacancy then. And so therefore you have to mitigate that spread throughout the rest of the year. So our tenants tend to stay and pay. We have less turnover, which means we have less turnover costs. And that reduces a lot of the expensive management. It reduces our turnover costs and it increases our profitability. So that's one. The second thing is we actually tend to get it when we do get our properties back, if we do, the tenants have typically, or the residents have typically made improvements on the home. As I mentioned, we had one individual, she brought five of her brothers with her. And, you know, I was there to hand her the keys and my eyes get really big. And I'm like, I thought it was just you and your husband and your two kids. And she says, oh, no, sweetie, sweetie, these are my brothers. We're tearing out all the carpet today and we're painting. My husband's at the store getting the paint right now. I'm like, you haven't even moved in yet. <laughs> she <laughs> says, I know. We already picked out the color and everything. She says, the, the guy that's going to be putting in the carpet on Monday. I'm like, today's Saturday. She's like, yeah, I already booked it. I already knew we were moving in. Okay. And so, you know, we, we tend to have that happen so often that our residents take so much pride in, in their home that they're, they're willing to do those things. So that's, I mean, that's just one of, the, one of the great benefits of it. And we, you know, they, they tend to take care of a lot more of the incidentals, right? Those little, the leaky faucets and things of that nature, they take over that because again, it's the pride. They have a pride in ownership. And so that's what we want them to have is that ownership mentality when they're moving into our lease to own programs. Interesting. It's definitely different than what I do. There's no proud of ownership on the tenants, you know, side. Because when when you own an apartment building and you just you rent it out, 
tenants, they're definitely not going to change the carpet for me. I wish <laughs> if, if, you, if you can find them, I'll be happy to offer them really nice, you know, a, a good deal. But yeah, I think it, it's really, I think from what I'm hearing when it comes to lease options, it really speaks to certain type of tenants. Correct. Tenants that might have a little bit more money, maybe that they're in later in life and at the stage where they're looking for a home and they have, there are probably some reasons why they cannot or will not want to buy right now, Yeah, but there's a good chance that they will do it in the near future. Yeah. And one of my big passions is financial literacy. And there's a huge issue with financial literacy in this country. And we have, we have a debt society. So there are a lot of individuals that, you know, they've always been taught, you lease your, you lease your car you don't own your car. You lease where you live, you don't own where mm-hmm. you live. So we have an entire an entire society of individuals that get into their 20s and 30s and they've never owned anything. They have no assets to their name. And we all know that this is how the wealthy become wealthy is they own assets. They control assets. And so this is something that we need to be training at all levels of the economy, from the wealthy all the way down to those that are in the poverty line and about how money management works. And so you're absolutely 100% correct. There are a ton of individuals that come to us and say, you know, I have a collection on my, on my record. Great. What was the collection for? Why did that happen? Or I have a medical. I mean, medical is another huge one. You know, we have so many individuals that come to us and say, I have a medical collection for you know, $60,000 because I didn't, I didn't have enough money to pay for a surgery and I didn't have insurance. And this happens so rampantly and it shouldn't be counted against them because our healthcare system is screwed up. Right. So we actually look at all of the different facets. We have full conversations with anybody that wants to move into one of our leased home homes because we want to make sure that they have the right psychology. Yes, you might be struggling now, mm-hmm. but where is your psychology? So, yeah, very, very different mindset for sure. So, Anne, let's talk about process. When it comes to analyzing, you know, lease options, can you walk us through your process? Yeah, I would love to. So we still, because I have a background in flipping, we still buy like flippers, as though we're going to flip the home. But we actually do what's called, instead of doing renovation, which is where you renovate and you make it look pretty and then you can sell it to someone else, mm-hmm. we do rentivation. And rentivation, what we do is we actually fix the core four. So it's the AC, the roof, the plumbing, and the electrical. Right. So we focus on the four big major components of the home and we want to make sure that the foundation is good. So we, we want to make sure that anybody that moves into one of our homes, they have the big things taken care of. If you want to throw in a hundred dollars worth of paint on the walls, that's fantastic. I just put a $4,000 air conditioner on your roof. I made sure that the roof was good. I made sure that the $3,000 worth of plumbing all got done. And we can actually, because we know how to buy, because we buy like flippers, we can actually negotiate that into everything. So you can still meet those profitability numbers. So we actually are you know, very strategic into what we buy, how we buy and where we buy. Interesting. And what would you say is the biggest loophole in the process or things that investors should be aware of? As far as lease options are concerned? Yeah. As far as lease options, you know, looking at deals that they want to position, you know, as a lease option investment or anything like that. Yeah, that's a great question. I know that, you know, the way that I was taught in order to do lease options, I don't want the market to necessarily dictate what we're going to sell the property for. Mm -hmm. So I was taught to always negotiate that upfront with a resident. 
So if we have, let's just say, for example, a $200,000 home in Phoenix, and I can negotiate to buy that for $175,000 all in, all of repairs already all included for $175,000, we will actually negotiate with the tenant for what the seven-year option price will be. And then what we can do is, I was always had to leave the ball in our court. So there have been instances where I've had investors or residents call back and they've got a seven-year option. They call back in five years. They say, I'm ready to buy the house today. We've got our credit repair. We've got the down payment. We're ready to go. And the house doesn't appraise for what we estimated it would be two years from then. So I go back to our investor. I say, hey, we bought the house for $175. We already had $25,000 worth of equity in it. And when we moved in, and now they want to buy it for $250, not $275 because it's been five years. So one in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? So we have that conversation and that's what I love about our program is that we ultimately leave the decision to our investor. If he says, hey, I've taken way too much in capital, I can't take that kind of a financial hit right now, then that would be great. So I can't take that kind of income, that's fine. We'll let them know that we can revisit that in six months or a year. And we're basically that, the bridgeway between the two. And so this allows us to do that negotiating for with our investors on behalf of our investors with our tenant. So we either let them know, or I just say, hey, you know, we bought it for 175. The tenants have paid every single month. You know, they were a great family. I think that they're doing really well. You know, we had this conversation. They say, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to, you know, profit by this much. And we can go out and buy a couple more homes. Yeah, let's go out and buy a couple more homes with the profit that we made. Fantastic. So then we just 1031 exchange it. And that's what we call our houses making babies. (laughs) (laughs) How does it make babies? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's definitely different because it's, I think for your investors, it looks like the investment is is half, you know, a sale and half rent. And it's it keeps, you know, changing. So I think that's a very, very interesting, you know, strategy. And I think the process is also really interesting. Very, very different than everything that I know. And I think I think a lot of people don't really know much about lease options. It's kind of confusing. Who has the option? The owner, the the tenant. But it's interesting to yeah, it's definitely it definitely attracts, you know, different type of, of tenants for sure. It does. I would say one of the one of the cautionary things is, you know, and this is much different than multifamily. Multifamily, if you have an individual that moves out, you still have, you know, a hundred or two hundred individuals that are paying. And like you can offset that that very small margin of until it gets re-rented. With single family, if the resident moves out, you know, like a hundred percent of the rents, the revenue is is gone. And so it, it really incentivizes us because we're partners with our investors. It incentivizes us to make sure that we always have a backlog of residents that are ready and willing to move in under that, under that lease option. So we, we're always active, even when we're 100% full, we're always actively seeking out residents that want to, want to participate in our program. Oh, that's interesting. So you're ready in case the tenant moves out, you have someone that is waiting and you know, likes the opportunity so they can move in quickly. So you're not losing time. Very, very interesting. Well, thank you, Anne, for sharing your knowledge with us. That was really interesting to learn. And we have arrived to our last part of the interview, the lightning round questions. Are you dun, ready? Done. I'm ready. Done, done, done. All right. What's your favorite hobby? Hockey. Hockey. I love hockey. Don't ask me why I grew up in Southern California, but I'm just a hockey fanatic. I'm a Sharks fan. <laughs> nice. What's the one thing people don't know about you besides the fact that you like hockey? Besides the fact that I like hockey, oh my gosh. I was born without an ear. So I was oh. uh, I was born without my right ear and I had uh, four reconstructive surgeries when I was 11. Oh wow. So that I could, yeah. So just something kind of fun. Interesting. 
Yeah. Wow. I did not, <laughs> I did not expect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I expected, well, you know, I like to dance, I like to listen to Jay-Z, like we had, you know, in the last episode. All right. So, and what do you wish you had known when you just started out? Oh my gosh. There are so many things. I would probably say I wish that I would have started earlier. I think that's probably, that's probably what it was, but there was a lot of fear around moving into the space. And I know that that, I share that with a lot of, a lot of investors. And this is why so many don't get into it until their thirties, their forties, their fifties, because they think that because they're in their twenties, that they just, they can't do it because they don't have enough experience. And that is a hundred percent not true. So it's just, it's a mindset. And if you have the mindset and you have the will, the experience will come. I'm with you 100%, 100%. So, and what is your number one advice to a real estate investor who wants to scale their business? And this is something that you and I, you've, I have actually talked about quite a bit is you need to really understand if you want to be an active investor or a passive investor. And what I mean by that is, do you want to be the one knocking on doors and collecting mm-hmm. rents and being extremely right. active? Or do you want to do what right now what you and I are doing, which is we get to travel and mm-hmm. we get to buy all over all over the place and we have a team that is set up. So the re- only reason that I can travel and I can go out and I can you know, work with our investors around the country is because I have such a solid team at our headquarters in Phoenix and I trust them implicitly. And because we built such a great team, and I'm sure you're the exact same way, we it affords us an ability to be able to go out and do bigger and better things for more right. people. And I think that that's just such, such the biggest lesson that I learned, which is I, you know, you only have enough bandwidth, right? We only have enough hours in the day, especially if you have kids. I, thankfully, I don't, I don't have kids at this stage in my life where I can, I can do a lot of that traveling and I can do a lot of those things. But if you have a family, there's only so many hours in the day and you have to, there's always a trade-off. There's always an opportunity cost for what you're doing. So if you're the one knocking on the doors, collecting the rents, making the mortgage payments, doing doing all of these things and making sure that your business is being profitable, you're taking that time away from your family. And this is why so many people work with you, so many people work with me is because they realize that as much as they think they want to be active because they think there's a lot of profitability in it, you and I have done this so many times, we can get them the same profitability, we can get them the same returns without them having to do any kind of work. And this yeah. that's the success of being a passive investor. Yeah. Hey, I can totally, totally relate and agree. I mean, it's, there's so much work that is involved with it. And I think unless you've done, you've taken a deal from A to Z, you cannot even imagine how much work. And even we don't do it. Like you said, we don't do it alone. We have a, an entire oh, team. Yeah. One person cannot do it maybe, but very poorly. Yes. So That's real estate, true. yeah, real estate is expensive and you need to make sure that you have the team in place that will take care of it. One person, I mean, if you're good at, at analyzing deals or negotiating deals, you're not necessarily good at, you know, speaking with investors or managing the asset with tenants. You got to find what you're good at and have a team to complement you. And together, it's a team sports. Together, this is how you make money in real estate, not by buying and doing everything on your own, because I think it's going to be really challenging. You can definitely yeah. make money that way, but you're not going to be as profitable and you're also yeah. not going to be as exactly. happy. Right? Yeah. I, I was so fortunate. Yeah, I used to do it all myself. I used to, you know, work with all of my own investors. And then, you know, as soon as we brought capital on, I'd be the one going out and sourcing deals, then negotiating. And then I have to start the process all over. And once I found my partner, he is amazing at doing the day-to-day operations. And he loves it. 
And mm-hmm. I love when I get to work with our investors and I get to build out plans and help them with their vision. Yep. So you really need to, and this is one of the big things that I always talk to a lot, all of our investors that come on board. The first thing I always ask is, what is your vision? Where do you want to be? When, you're, when you see yourself in your mind retired, where are you? How old are you? Who are you with? Are you yeah. on a beach? What beach is that? Start from the end. I love it. Exactly. And then you reverse engineer that. And what do we need Mm -hmm. to do to start today? There's a great Chinese proverb that I absolutely love. And it says that it goes, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time, the (laughs) next best time is today. So the question is, yes, we can all go back and say what I should have done, where where I could have gotten to, oh man, I should have got that promotion. I should have started real estate. This is, I just talked about the next best time is now. So the question is, what do you need to do today? What actionable steps do you need to have today in order to get to your future? But you can't figure out what that where that path is taking you until you figure out where you want to be. Yeah, so absolutely. You've got to reverse engineer all of that mm-hmm. and figure out what is the goal today. Exactly, and that's exactly the phrase that I use: reverse engineer. That's how I started. I said, okay, when I'm 50, where am I? What do I do? How, how many, many deals, units how many or doors, how many yeah. deals? Exactly. What's the value? And then I said, okay, I have a number. Reverse engineer. What do I need to do every year to get there? Okay. I got to today. I realized, oh, I cannot do it by myself. I need, yes. you know, more people. I need to duplicate myself and, you know, even more than that to get it done. Well, that, that was a, true. yeah, beautiful insights. Thank you Anne, so much for sharing, you know, your experience, your story, your insights with us. If investors and listeners want to reach out to you, where can they find you? How can they do that? The best thing to do is connect with me on LinkedIn. You can ask me any questions. I mean, we are definitely an open book. So you can connect with me, Anna Magrande at LinkedIn. You can also send me an email direct at Anne, A-N-N-E at Amagrande, which is A-M-A-G-R-A-N-D-E.com. Or you can call the office. It's going to be, oh my gosh. You know what? I'm going to leave that because I can't remember if it's a 480 <laughs> or if it's a 602 and I don't want to give the wrong phone number. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure they can feel well and find it. Yes. All right. Perfect. Thank you again, Anne. That was really, really fun. I oh really my gosh. enjoyed it. I, I can't wait till the next one. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.